I'm Emma Woodhouse. I'm a two-time NCAA All-American, former Division I downhill skier, and host of the Barriers to Breakthroughs podcast. Each week, I'll get to interview some amazing and strong female athletes to discuss important topics in women's sports and what goes on inside the brain of an athlete. Perfectionism, recovering from injury, and bullying are just some of the many things that can defeat your spirits and ruin your confidence to perform. I know what it's like to feel hopeless, not knowing why you're not performing the way you want, and to feel alone thinking that no one could relate to what you're going through. Well, I'm here to change that. I'll bring these topics and stories to light and show you that you are not alone and that you can overcome those barriers to breakthrough. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode. It's your girl, Emma, and today I have skeleton athlete, Grace Dafo. Now, if you don't know what skeleton is, we do get to talk about that in the interview, but as a sneak peek, just imagine yourself doing a penguin slide, meaning headfirst down an ice track. Sounds fun, yet terrifying at the same time. Anyways, Grace is a part of the Canadian national team where she has competed in several North American Cups and international competitions where she has several podium finishes. Grace also hopes to live out her Olympic dream one day, and she is working hard to make that happen. In this interview, we talk about her skeleton journey and how she discovered the sport of skeleton. And then we get into her self-discovery moment in her career, where she had to decide if she wanted to continue with the sport when she was at her lowest point. Grace goes into detail about what she did to get out of that slump to find her love for the sport again, and also what she encourages athletes to ask themselves and their team of when they feel that way in their own careers. Grace has some amazing advice to give and great exercises to try in regards to self-discovery, and I can't wait for you to listen. But before we get into the interview, if you are loving the podcast or this episode, please leave a review over on Apple Podcasts and let me know your thoughts on the podcast and if you resonated with any of the guests. It would help out the podcast so much, and it would mean a lot to me to know your thoughts. Thanks again for all your support. Now, let's get into the chat with Grace Dafo. Okay, Grace, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. How are you? How are you doing? Things are good. In a little bit of a lull right now between, between races. So home, working, trying to unpack, repack, you know, all that stuff's a little bit chaotic, but I would say that athlete life is always a little bit chaotic, especially in season. So nothing new, I guess, in that sense. But yeah, things are good. It's snowing, which is exciting. December in Calgary, I think it's time for some snow. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, where I am in Ontario, we have a little bit of snow, but it is melting away. So hopefully we'll get some more and it'll be a little colder. But (laughs) who knows? Mother Nature is kind of up in the air these days. So (laughs) talk a little bit about your work and what you do. Yeah. So I, well, I mean, outside of my athlete life as a a skeleton athlete, I work full-time at the nonprofit classroom champions. So we basically work to, we work in the field of sport and education and we have, you know, experts in both on our team and we use the athletes to deliver some of our messaging and our content, which is all the educational content on our platform is written by educators 
and basically then delivered by an online platform to educators. It's all based in social emotional learning. So really we're just looking to use like the athlete mindset and the, like our, our stories of each athlete mentor's journey to like help deliver that content, stuff like goal setting, perseverance, all that good stuff. So it's a really unique program. It's really awesome. I work for them and I'm also an athlete mentor. So I kind of get both of those sides and, um, yeah, I've been really lucky that it's a remote job. So I take my computer wherever I am, whether it was, uh, you know, sitting outside my Cairo's office a couple of days ago between my workout and my Cairo appointment, just like working away, airplanes, cars, anywhere, you name it. Um, I'm basically, as long as there's internet, I'm connected to Slack and, and working. So I'm very lucky in that regard. It's not, you know, it's, it's hard to balance both, but the way it's set up makes it pretty easy. And I feel very blessed. That sounds like an awesome job. <laughs> just FYI, that sounds amazing. And and I love that it really pairs well because you are an athlete. So like, have you used a lot of those tools that the educators have talked about? Yeah. I mean, like a really great example is we talked about one of my favorite units is emotions and it's teaching kids like how to deal with their big emotions. And honestly, I think adults should take the course too. But when I was making the, the video, so we basically get like guided talking points and then we film the video. And then it's like, insert a story about a time you use this kind of thing. And then you ad lib that part, but like talking about breathing techniques, they're teaching kids, um, something called the box breath. And I was like, I use that on the start line. So it's like breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four. And it like brings you to, we call it finding your center kind of thing. And I find that's very similar to talking about like athlete flow performance, kind of like that. And, you know, I was filming it and I was like, I actually use this, but I wish I learned it from my sports site. I wish that it, like I would have been taught it when I was, you know, in elementary school. So yeah, I think it's really, really great in that aspect. And we always have something to learn. You know, you say things out loud and pra- I like to say practice what you preach. And if you're preaching those things to, to kids, then you should also be backing it up by trying to be better yourself and, and also really fully grasp that personal development piece and, you know, always be a work in progress. <laughs> Oh, definitely. And like adults are also a work in progress. We're learning about our emotions and how to handle stress. That's, that's what I'm going through right now. Like just being able to focus on what I'm doing rather than what could potentially happen. So the emotions part is so important. And that's so cool that, that you're teaching young kids about that. We should all be learning and be progressing. Yeah. I think it's really great that, um, you know, we have, just over 600 classrooms right now in North America. So like to think that there are 600 teachers right now going through our content and like teaching those to, you know, their class sizes of 15 to 30, maybe even 60 kids. If it's like more of a junior high setting that they do multiple, but like blocks or whatever. So I think it's really cool that like kids are learning this. And I really like as an athlete strive to ha- align with opportunities that like will help the next generation. And I believe like, not just like inspire them to do sport. Obviously I would like them to be active. And I think that's really important and healthy living and like all that stuff, but also just like help them be good humans and like build that next kind of like generation that is going to go out and change the world. Cause you know, we've got lots of problems in the world to fix. And I truly think if we can build up the leaders of tomorrow, then they're going to start leading earlier and they're actually going to become the leaders of today and start you know, solving stuff like climate change and 
you know, lots of talk with human rights over the last couple of years, like the kids that are experiencing that right now in school are going to be the ones that they're going to grow up and like pursue careers to, to fix those. So I really think it's awesome to work with, with kids and young people because their minds are just so out there. Like they, they just, they see a problem and they want to like fix it and kind of stuff like that. So yeah, it's a big part of like who I am and every kind of endeavor I align myself with. I try to keep that pillar in mind. Oh yeah. I love that. And it's, it's so true. Like kids are so creative and when we grow up, we are often taught to know, suppress that, like, don't, don't stand out, be, do this, do this. And so yeah, that's amazing that you're teaching those kids and creating that the classroom environment. And yeah, the, the kids need to learn how to be humans outside of sports. Like there's going to be a time when you're not competing as an athlete. You'll always be an athlete, but you'll be going into the real world, getting a job, not real world. Okay. But like, <laughs> you'll be getting a job and then you'll be learning about how to do these things. So yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm not offended by the real world. I, yeah. I very much it's athlete world is a completely different beast and, and I totally get it. And what world, like I'm living day to day right now. I just found out yesterday where I'm going on Saturday and like that doesn't fly in, in normal real world kind of stuff. And to have to try to blend it with the real world is, is pretty fun and <laughs> challenging for sure. And work family, friends and like that, but you just get better at it or you just kind of like, now for me, it's old how I've been doing sales for eight years or nine seasons. This is my ninth season. So you kind of just now I know how to deal with it. But I remember being like, what do you mean I have to leave for Europe in six days? How am I supposed to like figure out all this stuff, let alone book a flight, book accommodations, all the like athlete world is, is it's a crazy world. Yeah. You can say that again. <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk about your journey from being a young athlete to discovering skeleton. And so first, I guess I would love for you to explain to everyone out there what skeleton is, and then just talk a little bit about your early childhood and how you discovered the sport. Yeah. It's certainly not the sport that you are like five or six years old. And you're like, wow, I really want to go to the Olympics and do skeleton. They probably don't even know what skeleton is especially as a kid in Canada, you know, like I knew hockey, I, I was figure skating from gosh, like I think I had skates on in the lake in, in my community when I was maybe two or three. Um, and then I figure skated for pretty much most of my life, which was like, I obviously did other sports, but like figure skating was like my main sport, but I skied, I tried gymnastics, dance, I tried it for the rugby team. There's, there's a few sports that I like dabbled in, but really figure skating was the one that stuck as a young athlete. And so skeleton is headfirst tobogganing, not like the tobogganing you think of like the giant hill when you're a kid and it just like, you can go anywhere and stuff like that. It's a little ice tube essentially made of concrete. They pour ice over top of it and every track in the world is a little bit different. So every course has its own kind of, and it's like kind of like F1 racing in a way where like every course has its own nuances and the turns go different ways and the G forces and the geometry of the corner and the physics of how the concrete is laid and stuff like that. Like there's so many minute details in how, you know, we're trying to be hundreds of seconds faster, 0.1 kilometer speed higher. Like it's, it's this very much like chase of always continually being better. So how we steer is with our shoulders on our sled, our knees, 
And then worst case are toes. Those are kind of like the fail safe. You're, you're dropping a lot of speed if you're dragging your toe. Um, when I say your toe, we have special edge shoes that, that protect our feet and all that, but you can very much change the angle of your sled quite aggressively with your toe in case things are not going right. Um, there's this little like lunch tray. I, some people don't like when I say that, but that's what our sled is essentially. And then there's this like part that goes around your rib cage. It's like an external rib cage. And that's the part we lay in and we're laying on like a penguin, like we're sliding head first. And uh, yeah, I know when you look at it on the Olympics and you're like, man, that guy's not doing anything. That's because it's probably number one, Martin Stukers. Um, he's the best in the world. He has like three Olympic medals and all that stuff. And when he does it, it looks like you're not doing anything. But if you watch a beginner slide skeleton, you <laughs> just don't love well, do or don't YouTube like skeleton crashes and stuff like that. There's montages and montages of how things can go. And don't worry, no one's like seriously hurt, but like, you know, things happen. So I would definitely say like when you watch beginners do it, it's a lot more obvious how much they're actually manipulating the pressures in the corner in order to come out and not only like not lose velocity, but gain velocity. So that's a little bit about skeleton in itself. I started skeleton when I was Gosh, I think it was 18 or 19. It was in October 2012. So my math is probably bad, but you can do the math yourself. So I basically kind of like was inspired by the Vancouver 2010 Olympics. I knew pretty early on in figure skating when you're like 10 to 11 and the people you're against are doing like triples and you're not, you probably know you're not going to go to the Olympics. And so when people ask me to summarize my skating career, I say mediocre at best. Um, I didn't really travel outside Western Canada. I never went to like nationals or anything like that, but I stuck it out. I, you know, went to a fairly high competitive level, um, kind of just below the cusp of like when you start to like be in the competitions that like would qualify you for nationals and stuff like that. But I just kind of couldn't quite get past that threshold and get my triple jumps and stuff, but I landed on my double jumps and, you know, I, I have a lot of great friends. I learned a lot from that, but I was looking for something else and, we have a really great program in Canada now called RBC training ground, which identifies athletes for kind of later transfer sports that didn't exist when I was going through this. So I pretty much was looking for in Vancouver, 2010, I'm watching and like, what other sports can I do? Speed skating was suggested, obviously coming from figure skating. I don't know what about that didn't stick. I didn't end up even trying it, but it actually ended up that my dad knows someone that he was not at his company, but that he, he was working kind of with at another company and his son was on the Canadian skeleton team and, and was about to qualify. This would have been two years out from Sochi. So like was on the verge of qualifying for Sochi 2014 and he did end up qualifying for the Olympics. But my dad kind of got in contact with that work contact and was like, Hey, my daughter really wants to try this sport. Can you kind of send me some more info? And like, I will say, you know, you, the info's not out there. It's not like curling or hockey where you just like Google, where can I try this? And you go to the rink down the street. I was very lucky that in Calgary, obviously it was a university at the time. So I wasn't really looking to like relocate outside of Calgary. And so it's like, we used to have a track up here. It's, it's not open anymore, but I was able to start sliding while I was in university. And I actually also ended up working up at Canada Olympic Park for a couple of years. So I just spent a lot of time up there. <laughs> yeah. And I tried it and I wouldn't say it was love at first slide, but intrigued me enough to keep me coming back. And I ended up also like as a female in sport, there wasn't a ton of females on our team. We, we have quite a strong men's team and we have a strong female team. There's just not as many 
at that point, there wasn't as many development athletes in the system. So they kind of saw this gap and they're like, a young 18-year-old female interested in our sport, let's get her through to our provincial programming. So that was kind of where I jumped off and spent a lot of years just in the provincial program with some occasional call-ups to some international races. And we'll go further into my international racing career a little bit later, I'm sure. But basically, I slid just recreationally in Calgary for a couple of years, figuring out if this is something I really wanted to do. And here we are now, <laughs> many years later. <laughs> yeah. So you started competing quite, is that quite late for a skeleton athlete or is that kind of average that you go in when you're a late teenager? Um, so like, actually I was pretty young in terms of they, we do let in Canada, generally like the age is like around 13 or 14. That like, is like the first time we can let them go down the track. Really. It's all about judgment of like, how well do they comprehend the safety rules and stuff like that. Um, and we have a learn to push facility where you just do the push start. So generally you can gauge also from there, if someone like knows how to follow the rules in there, generally they're going to understand how to follow the rules of the track as well. But I will say I have teammates that my first few years too, that like they started, I'm 28 right now. And a couple of the um, more senior, senior teammates that I've slid with on the senior team or have been on the team for the last couple of years started when they were like in their mid to late twenties. So I think it's also really cool that like you can really start it at any point. We have people that started after they're like, they'll go play a varsity sport and come out, you know, when they're 23 or or maybe in their last year of university, they come try it and then take it on kind of more full-time after their university career wraps up. So, I mean, it's awesome that we attract all sorts of different athletes, rugby, track and field, soccer. There's a Russian skeleton athlete that's a ballet dancer. We have an equestrian athlete. She's a British skeleton slider. So there's just very, we're a very eclectic group of people. Um, <laughs> but like, I think really, um, if you want to try it and you're like, still in your twenties or even younger, like there's still lots of time and opportunity. And it depends also how quickly you go into it and how, like how quickly you'll advance to that, like competition side is how seriously you'll take, you take it. And I would say I didn't take it super seriously my first year and a half. Cause I wasn't sure, like, and I wasn't sure, but I wasn't sure I was ever going to be successful at it. So I found it hard to go all in. It was also in university. It was working like there was lots of other stuff, but I like dabbled in it. But I know that once I committed, I committed. <laughs> so I would, I would say that like, it, it's very dependent on the person. Yeah, it's actually, it's pretty shocking that the athletes who go into skeleton are almost 30. Like with other sports, that's so unheard of. Like, especially gymnastics, it's like their peak is 16. And then they're retired by, well, Simone Biles was like 24. But like, that's the oldest. It, that's just so crazy that some sports that you could just go into it and like, even I could go into skeleton. I'm very scared of it, but I could, <laughs> you could. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that stuff t terrifies me a little bit, <laughs> but that's, I, I admire you and other skeleton athletes just for like being such daredevils. <laughs> it's not, I mean, uh, yeah. People always ask me like, oh, so scary like you do get used to it and the butterflies like don't fully go away but they subside over time which is like also a little bit disappointing like the new track feelings when you try a new track you know it uh one of the last times I was at a different track so I've now slid on like nine different tracks and there's not that many more tracks in the world now that I haven't slid there's like only four or five 
and a couple that are like dormant that I'll never get the opportunity to slide on. But yeah, my, one of my good friends who also slid skeleton who's now retired was like, embrace the, like that feeling of like, you know, not daredevil, but like a nervousness because she's like, there's not many new track feelings left. And I was like, that's really sad to think about, <laughs> but thank you. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know it looks daredevil and like, it's actually one of the safest of the three starting sports. So luge has a much higher center of gravity and they go a lot faster than skeleton. So, and they also like, I say, none of your joints go that way. So like your feet hit first, like your ankles, your knees don't really bend that way versus like us going head first. Like most of your joints go that way. So I mean, there's that and bobsleigh, like, yes, you're like stuck kind of in a bathtub, but when bobsleigh flip over, like you're pinned over and a bobsleigh crash, it sounds like, like a freight train crashing. It's insane. So, I mean, skeleton's one of the safer ones. We flip over, we generally kind of just like flip back over with our sled and common to, or contrary to what people think, like not a lot of us get very severely injured. We really more just like get like bruises and from like hitting walls on our arms and on our legs and stuff like that. And that goes away as you get better at it too. So (laughs) hopefully. Yeah. You were saying earlier that it's like a, you're sliding on a concrete (laughs) structure, like wall. So when you, (laughs) so yeah, just thinking about it, like, Oh, I thought the injuries would be really bad. Cause that's a hard surface plus ice, but that does make sense that you would just slide. And yeah, I bet you'd get some, gnarly burns too <laughs> yeah we have not uh, more like ice burn but yeah like I had a pretty hard hit um a couple weeks ago in Park City and my arm was like super bruised but it was really only from one spot but then like it all pools down to like the bottom of your arm it just looks really gross <laughs> a lot of yeah during science season if I'm like wearing like a tank top or something like going through an airport you get a lot of funny looks but we get used to it. You know, our therapists work with us, even when we don't have a therapist on the road, like I know how to like do self massage and like lymphatic massage. And I have all my tips and tricks to keep, keep everything kind of moving and grooving. So you get used to it kind of, is the, <laughs> and, and you become a better driver. So they become few and far between, between, because like, I think my first couple of years, there was a point, like I couldn't even bend my arm like because I hit it like right in the elbow joint my elbow was okay Um, my coach at the time was a nurse she assessed me but like everything around it was so bruised that like I could barely bend my arm and I was like is this is this normal uh no you get you just get better at it (laughs) yeah so in talking about that I want you to talk about those first few years you had when you started taking skeleton more seriously yeah so in it was kind of like a Sochi approach. Um, the Sochi Olympics, I've been in the sport for just over two, two years and or just under two years when that like skeleton season started. And I was actually lucky enough to go to a world cup that came through Calgary. just as a spectator. And that was super cool to see like all the top bobsleigh skeleton athletes race in my home on the track that I had been training on, you know, for the last couple of seasons, that definitely was like a part of like being like, this is super cool. And like that Olympic fever from Vancouver 2010 came back, except I was like, this is cool. I'm in this sport now. So I actually went out and I had a strength coach that I was working with from like still my figure skating days, but I went out and found someone that was a former bobsleigh athlete, um, strength conditioning coach. And I kind of thought that it was the time was right to make a move and, and join this, join this training group and, and kind of take training more seriously um, because our push start is so imperative. That's how you build velocity down the track. 
And now it's also coincidentally how they identify kind of athletes with talent and stuff for funding and all that jazz. So it's not like the be all end all. You need many other factors to be a good pilot and win races, but creating velocity and losing the least is, is basically, it's a pretty simple sport when you think about it, um, crossing the finish line as fast as possible. So yeah, I decided to join that and start training. And I'm not, I wasn't new to strength and conditioning and training. I had trained with someone from when I was 14 till I was 18 for, for figure skating. And then I kind of knew there was that transition year. So still just working out to work out. And I would just go because like, it kind of was like, if I don't go, I'm, I'm going to fall into that, like post athlete, you know, kind of like slump, um, a little bit. And I definitely was like burnt out a little bit from figure skating. So I didn't want to stop like going to the gym, but I didn't know how to be active without going to see a personal training coach. So I kept doing that. But then I found more of the style that was like five athletes book in um, a session and one coach kind of floats between those five athletes. And it was really great. Some of them were bobsled athletes, skeleton athletes, rugby athletes, weekend warrior type people that were like former athletes. There's a guy we used to train with who's a former bull rider only in Calgary. Um, <laughs> uh, not only in Calgary, but it's just, obviously we live where there's a lot of farm and rodeo and all that stuff. So was, that was super interesting. And yeah, that was probably, that was the big move to take it seriously. And I learned a lot about how to take initiative in my own training and stuff like that. And, and that was the first summer that I ran in the Bob Canada Skeleton recruitment camp. I did not run any of our magic off ice standards that kind of plunks you into the next group, but um, I started to see some improvement and then I found out this would have been fall of 2014 that there was a lot of retirements. And so basically they didn't have enough national team athletes to fill all our international racing spots. So then they essentially delegate the open spots to the provincial sport association and the provincial sport association looks at, okay, who's our top two females. As I mentioned, there wasn't a ton of females in the time at the Alberta skeleton level. So yeah, I ended up getting a chance to race and, got to go down to Park City, Utah. So that was my first international race and talk about like inspiring me to like really commit to skeleton standing on the start line for the first time ever representing Canada lifelong dream to represent Canada as an athlete. I just never knew it'd be in skeleton. That was pretty freaking cool. <laughs> so <laughs> that definitely like, and, and I met all the awesome other teammates and other, um, other athletes. And just like, I was like, this sport is so cool. And the people are so fun we're such a small group of people. So it's like this family on the road kind of thing. And something I'd never experienced in figure skating, thousands of kids do figure skating in my area. So it, I just never got that. And this was like more of a tight knit group. So yeah, that, that lit the fire for sure. And then I was lucky enough. We had two races in Calgary that, that season. And I ended up third overall in the North America's cup circuit. Um, <laughs> and I didn't even know that was a thing. They like called my name up and I was like, why am I getting this? because I, we just had done our medal presentations and I actually ended up winning one of the last races in Calgary on the North America's cup circuit. So that was also like really awesome. And so, yeah, I mean, that was, that year just kind of got me hooked because I saw this like immediate success. And I mean, it helps that half the races were on my home track. So uh, home track advantage is, is where it's at in our sport. So yeah, that, that got me hooked. And I think that definitely I turned some heads in terms of like starting off an Olympic quad and, you know, that was, yeah, at the start of an Olympic quad. So people are kind of looking who, who there was a ton, a ton of retirements because skeleton didn't come into the Olympics till 2002, like back into the Olympics till 2002. So people kind of wrote out that like 
careers of 2002-ish era all the way through to 2010, 2014 era. And then there was like a big turnover. And we're kind of seeing similar right now is like there's a big turnover because the 2014 to 2022, we're about to kind of have a bit of a big turnover again, it seems like. I mean, I can't speak obviously until after what happens, but there's a lot of people like in the later part of their career that that are on the World Cup tour right now. So yeah, anyways, I think that like international competition got me hooked. I love competing at the bottom line. I'm I'm a game game day person. So that's awesome. That's all yeah, that's so cool that you were able to get that spot. You were there right time, right moment, and you just took it. Like you took the moment and you owned it. And it was that's awesome that you were able to perform on that level. Everything came together that year. And I would say that in as all athletes know of all different sports, there are races that things don't come together and years that things don't come together. And it leaves you scratching your head. But that was certainly a season that was like, I think if I hadn't had that season, I who knows what the future would have looked like. But that season certainly set the tone for like, okay, let's do this. And then so yeah, I ended up wrapping up university. And that year I had to, there was a couple of years of having to explain to my profs why like I wasn't there for like multiple weeks on end. I went to a anatomy lab right after I I won that race that I was talking about. I like got to class and didn't even realize I think I still had like my mouth guard like in my sports bra or something like that. And I was like, that's what happens. And like it was like almost like this like Clark Kent Superman, because like I hadn't really told a lot of people at university like what I was doing because I was like scared to kind of say like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. And so it also was like this like alter ego that I had that I felt like was just like, I was this badass outside of university <laughs> doing this cool sport. So yeah, that was uh it certainly was an interesting few years, but I'm glad like I got the opportunity to kind of dip and dip my toe into racing while I was still in university. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. And so speaking of maybe your more low points of your career, I would love for you to talk about those years or times that you, that you struggled as an athlete. So I think we're always quick to celebrate. And I like thanks, especially now in the era of social media is like, always share these highlights and these awesome things and not just athletes, but like, I've been pretty open and like sharing like a lot of really crappy times in my sliding career. And I think it's something that like brings authenticity on my, on my social media. Um, I don't share it because I'm like, want to, but I share it because like people always then like message me and they're like, thank you for sharing. Or like, I hope that some young athlete is looking at it and being like, man, she really went through it. Like I'm not the only one going through it kind of thing. So that's kind of why I do it. But, um, yeah, so everything seemed like on the up and up. I had another really good season after that, despite I missed a little bit of time with, with a hand injury. But other than that, after that, um, the 2016 season, 2016, 17 season, I got selected to go to Europa cup for a full season. And like for a North American athlete, that's a vote of confidence because Europe slotting is a whole other beast. There's a lot of tracks. The tracks are a little bit like, I don't want to say more difficult, but they're just like, we don't get as much training time on them. So they're more like mysterious in a sense. And also like traveling to a place where like you don't speak people there don't speak English as their native language. Of course they speak English, but like some of the small towns we go to actually know they're speaking the English and they're like nine and you're like, perfect. <laughs> and then it, you're like, you end up like miming something like breakfast, uh, Frühstück is breakfast in German. And so then they'd be like Frühstück and you'd be like, 
point to a time on the clock because they want to know what time you want to eat. A lot of the small little places. I'm sure it's similar in like little ski towns. We, we go to, you know, all the same little like Eagles in Innsbruck. Like you guys just go to more. We don't have as many. Anyways, yeah. So that season was really awesome. Again, I had some top 15s and top 20s in Europe, which like in races of 30 women is, is, is really good. And North American athlete, like people were definitely turning heads a little bit. And then, yeah, the season after, I say it was like, I think I got a little bit complacent because like things were going really well. And so I started to take some of those like little habits, like training, like I was putting in the effort, putting in that 80, 90%, but I wasn't putting in that like little top and and like checking all the little tiny details of like trying to be the best I can be. And, you know, that's an error on my part. And, and I also, and now as a, as an older elder athlete, I realized that and probably because I have so many of these like lost years, but yeah, that summer, I, May of 2017, I rolled my ankle at the track again, super freak accident. The grass came to where the grass met the track. There was like a drop off and I stepped on half and half and rolled my ankle surprisingly I'd never sprained my ankle before then so that was quite alarming so there was that um so that limited a lot of the my ability to like sprint and obviously we have a national team off-ice standard to sprint a 30 meter time in a certain like there's a cutoff you have to be below it to kind of get plunked into the national prospect pool and then from there you do push testing and then on ice selections to then be like finalized to the national team but I was in that national prospect pool kind of and, and sliding in Europe and they like saw that my sliding ability was there, but then had this kind of crappy off season. I was in a minor car accident, but I did have like pretty bad whiplash and like, um, so I missed more time of training at off season and I just didn't perform. I didn't run, I ran pretty crappy. And so I got kind of relegated. I didn't get my, it was back to being like the first on the call-up list when like I was used to getting races before people on the call-up list were getting like, you know, kind of, so it was like kind of, it was a regression and that was disappointing. And, you know, going from being in Canadian selections to then being relegated to like forerunning, testing the track before Canadian selections was also really crappy. During this time, we had a new head coach that had actually just come into the program in the 2018-19 season. Wasn't someone necessarily that, we didn't really get along and, and they actually had planted thoughts that I was like not fast enough. I should switch strength coaches with friends of mine. And then they approached me and were like, yeah, like, have you ever thought about training with this person and like all this stuff. So that was like also really tough was like not feeling like someone that's like leading your program has your, they didn't believe in me. And like, I guess like, did I really show that they should because they didn't come in. They weren't, the coach of the program when I had my better years, they kind of came in when I was already in a slump. So yeah, I think that, I mean, I know it happened for a reason. And I like actually started my job during that slump, like the company I'm with now custom champions. I took an athlete intern position, which is basically like a free position. I worked, I volunteered until they started paying me a stipend about halfway through nonprofit life. I totally understand. And I didn't have very much career experience as well. So good things came out of it. Like I was able to start that and I've been off and on for the first couple of years. I worked contract and now I work full time with them, but I never would be where I am today without the slump and like having, you know, taking the time to do that. And I think part of those slump years too, I took a lot of time helping run public programs in Calgary. Um, I ran a lot of the, helped run a lot of the sliding schools. So like some of the newer development athletes on the team, like I helped put them through their sliding school. 
So I think it's super cool that I'm like, you guys are my teammates, but like, I taught you guys how to slide with like another person. So yeah, I mean, and, and a part of what got me out of that is really just like being super honest with like yourself. What, what did I do? What didn't I do? And how can I check all the boxes in the future and like uncover those like little 0.1% better things. Like, and that's where now, like now where I am is, you know, you you're seeking out acupuncture, fascia stretch therapy, like all that exploring some like recovery modalities or different styles of training that like you always necessarily haven't thought about instead of just doing the cookie cutter. Yeah. I checked all the boxes on my training program. Like now I'm going above and beyond and doing my prehab and mobility on my own time outside of the gym and stuff like that. So those were the little things that were missing. And so I had to like really look back and sit down with my strength coach and be like, what are we missing? What do I need to dial in? And if we do that and I still fail, then we can't say we, we didn't do it all. And I think that's kind of part of what my last few testing camps, the last couple of seasons have been is like, there's never been intense emotion, even when I didn't perform to necessarily the ability I thought I could, because I knew I put every ounce of everything in. And that kind of makes it a lot easier when you don't perform. So versus then there was a lot of intense emotion because I wasn't putting the work in to back it up. I feel like, so it's easier to be disappointed and like angry at this coach and angry at arbitrary things. So, yeah, I mean, I wrote blogs and blogs and blogs about like how much the Whistler track scared me and how much I was struggling there and stuff like that. And really, I just think like when your confidence is low, it just like compounds and yeah, it compounded for a few years and that's really sucks, but that's life. I guess. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it is life. It like your life is up, go it's up and downs, right? It's just you're going to have slump seasons, you're going to have high seasons. It's just the way it is, but I love that you you stopped and took the time and to figure out the details. That can really be relate related into life as well, not just a- athletics, but I love that you you took the time to do that and just to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, you know, do you punch in and punch out every day or do you actually, and it's okay if, if some days the best you can do and the best you can muster up is to punch in and punch out, but it's those other days where you are like inspired and you know, this is outside of sport as well. It's like, yeah. Like what are you doing to be a better person? What are you doing to be like the best person at your job? What are you doing to be the best friend, family member, you know, spouse, partner, whatever you can't just punch in and punch out and put in the bare minimum and expect high return and good results like you you do need to put in the work of these areas in your life and yeah it's for sure taught me that seasons of life it's very similar you you do go through good years in your life and bad years and I mean yeah this year the last couple years uh, we all know it's been it's been a couple slump years in life funny enough at least my my sign hasn't reflected that and and at least one thing's going quite going well despite the world being kind of crap, but yeah, I mean, there's good lessons for everyone to take kind of in in those details for sure. I love also that you said that you got someone to help you and that you talked to your coach. So during that time when you were in your slump, did you, did you feel like you needed to figure it out on your own or did you know that you really wanted to talk to someone about it? Yeah. I mean, I think it was a little bit of a mix of both. It's like, I saw her as like an immediate she had worked, she worked, still works with many great athletes. Um, you know, she's trained at 
few Olympians, few other summer athletes, stuff like that. So like she's trained a lot of high level athletes. So she, and she used to work at the Canadian sport Institute as well. So she, she knows kind of what that culture of high performance is and in and out of sport. And so I think I trusted her because I kind of also was like, do you think it's possible for me to run this 30 meter off ice standard? Because like, if you don't think it's possible, then like, even if I check all the boxes, then that's where I have to think about like, I'm never going to make the national team if I can't run that 30 meter standard. So like, it was a little bit of reflection within myself of like, is this something that I really want to keep doing and investing my money, investing my time, investing my life into, but also like I could do all that and still not be good enough. So yeah, I mean, it was a mix of both. And I think you need to have real and honest conversations and not be necessarily like, don't like, I know athletes are always like, like to be positive, but I think one thing that I really like about myself is like, I'm positive, but I'm also realistic. And that, that does come to a fault as well is like necessarily sometimes I'm like, I'm scared to win and, and not scared to win, but scared, scared to say that I want to win. I say it to myself and I say it to like my close friends and family, but I'm not like shouting out on social media. Like I want to be an Olympian, like stuff like that. And I think that's where that almost comes to a little bit of an issue on the other end. But I think when you're like in your low is like, you do need to be honest with yourself and, and sit down and whether it's like tracking your habits, like I drank eight glasses of water today, like check it off. Great job. Me. I did my prehab and mobility. Great job. I, came to training with a positive mind or something like that. And one thing I really like to do now that that kind of has all taught me is like, even when 10 things like are like in the needs improvement section, there's like, I like to leave with one positive from a training session or from a day um, at the track and kind of like still bring a little bit of positivity, but then be very realistic on what needs to be improved. So I would recommend talking to the right people though, is not necessarily like, it's such a balance because like there are also people that I just like don't have that level of trust with a really good example is, is one of the skeleton athletes I was training with at the time. And I said, she's a, she's a friend of mine and we have an honest deal that I'm like, and she has private coached me a little bit through our skeleton club, um, Stanford skeleton, but she's just a friend and, and we've trained together. It's like, I was like, I need you to be honest with me. If you think I should pull the plug on like, Grace, what are you doing? You're not getting any better at the sport. Like in those years and then also now. And I think that's really awesome that I like know I have someone who's like able to separate our, and one thing we've done really well is be able to separate our personal friendship when we're at the track in the start house. It's not that we're not friends, but like our inside jokes and, and laughs and like poking fun of each other. We don't start that till like we leave our facility as like a coach athlete because like, that's really important to me that like, obviously (laughs) I'm there to do a job and she's there to do a job. And so, yeah, I mean, it's really awesome that I know not everyone has that, but I, someone that knows the ins and outs of my sport, but is also a friend is able to like sit down and and it won't ever be an easy conversation if we need to have it, but I trust that she will not say it unless she absolutely means it. So I think that's really important to me as well. She wasn't necessarily as close to me then in that like era of my life so she wasn't there but for sure if I was going through something similar now she'd be like the first person that I call (laughs) yeah just someone that keeps it real and tells you just straight up everyone needs a person like that that's gonna be truthful to them yeah for me like I am learning to not take things personally and know like they're doing it to help me and it's not an I'm trying to reframe it so it's like not a negative and so yeah I 
I have a few friends that are like that too, that we have that relationship where we can be real. And so I would highly suggest that as well for athletes listening for sure. So you've shown on your social media that you, you take pride in getting involved in your community. And so I would really love for you to talk about the organizations you're a part of. I mean, you're working for one, but the other ones that you're a part of as well and why they're so important to you. I talked about, you know, keeping it real on social media and like, that's a big part of leaving a legacy for the next generation. And like, and that, kind of that stuff is, is it really important in my athlete brand, kind of everything that I align myself with, but another is like community. And I grew up in Calgary. I've been, I still live in Calgary. My family's here. So like investing in, I mean, like obviously there's two parts of community, your geographical community, but then people who share similar interests to you. So sporting community, stuff like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I work with Kidsport Calgary, which is really awesome. Kidsport has chapters all across Canada. They provide financial assistance to families that need it to help pay registration fees for sport. A lot of, um, at least in our area, a lot of them are auto set up. So like if a kid is going into soccer, soccer Calgary, they sign up and they basically say like, I want kid sport assistance. There's a separate application form that kind of gets attached to their registration. They fill out a separate application form. You do have to provide financials and stuff like that. Um, But basically then if the money doesn't ever actually go into the family's hands, if the, if the organization is set up, it goes straight into the sport organization, which also is someone who's worked on the other side as sport organization is like chasing money is hard and they're nonprofit organizations and stuff like that. So that part is really awesome. And then the Calgary, the Calgary chapter is really lucky to be partnered with the Calgary Flames. So we have a Calgary Flames sport equipment bank winters. A majority, we do have a lot of, but sports equipment is expensive and Hockey is a really great example. And so like kids are able to access equipment. They come in, get fitted for cleats, skates, whatever. They need helmets. They're super lucky they can come in and and get equipment as well. And during COVID, they actually sent out play packs. So kids could try new activities, you know, go out to a field by their house and try something new with a soccer ball or, you know, there's a rugby ball in there, a badminton, I think a badminton birdie or something like that. Anyways, there's a couple different options, but um, they also did that during COVID, which is really awesome. So I love Kids for Calgary. Um, I host, we host the Face First podcast with my bobsled teammate, Alicia Risling. We basically interview sport leaders in our area. And a lot of them are either kids sport athlete ambassadors or people that run a lot of our events that raise money. Other people are just doing generally awesome, good work in sport in our community. Um, so that's been really great. And yeah, and then I also have worked with Fast and Female in the past, obviously. COVID's been kind of hard to do any events. And then every time they seem to have run an event in the last couple of years, I've been on the road with skeleton um, virtual events. It's just hard. You don't know. We, our schedule is so unpredictable. So I like, can't commit to it, but I, I love to keep working with them. They help obviously self-identify girls, you know, pursue healthy lifestyles. And again, we use the vehicle of sport and like sport for good. We're not necessarily saying they need to go and be a high level athlete. We're just saying, Hey, being in sport and athletics and in general, healthy living is really good for you and like that kind of stuff. And also, you know, it unites a lot of females in sport and a lot of the ambassadors are like people that I look up to as, as other athletes. So I've always loved going to those events and connecting with other athletes, especially summer athletes. We don't really cross a lot of paths with them necessarily. So that's really awesome. And yeah, I'm trying to think of a couple other <laughs> 
there, there's a lot of organizations. Girls in Sport Alberta is, is another great one. Again, they're inspiring. They're connecting athletes kind of with organizations to talk about like women in sport. They're another nonprofit. So yeah, I just feel like I've looked up to like these athletes all my life of like being in it. When someone asks who my favorite athlete is, I'm kind of like, oh, how long do you have? Like there's like someone from every, you know, kind of like Olympics that I was I look up to. Now, like I have the privilege of being an athlete. And so I really, like I donate my time. I'm happy to like work with organizations. I probably should like, you know, ask sometimes for like a per diem or like, you know, something like get paid to speak, but often I'm, times I'm just so excited to be able to go. I'm like, oh, who cares? I'll come, I'll come and, and do it. Uh, they're not big events generally anyways, but yeah, that's definitely just like a big part of who I am and like what kind of legacy I want to leave as an athlete. And I don't want to be remembered for all my accolades and, and who knows what, where my ceiling is in sport. Like I, I can't say I'm, if I will ever be an Olympian, of course I want to be an Olympian and that's the goal. But if I don't, but I made a lot of other people, I met a lot of other awesome people along my journey and hopefully like made an impact on a few of them. To me, that's more, more important than the accolades. You don't want people don't always remember who you are, but they remember how you made them feel, I think is the quote or something like that. And so I want to be, I want to like people to think back to meeting me and being like, wow, she really like made me feel great or inspired me to do this or something like that. Or, or just, Maybe they won't remember specifically me, but they'll remember an event. And yeah, so yeah, that's kind of the quick and dirty of some of some organizations. I think I'm always looking to connect with more organizations and it doesn't, it's not just Calgary, you know, Canada-wide, North America-wide. Obviously I work with Custom Champions. It's all through North America. So yeah, find me on social if, if you think you want to get involved or you want to chat about me getting involved with something, um, whether it's an on-off or an ongoing thing. I have a hard time saying no to good opportunities. So at least we have a conversation. I love that you are like, there's a theme within all the things that you're doing, which is awesome. Like you are just diving into your passion. I'm the same way. Like I, I love sports. I love athletics and just, that's so cool that you're just leaning into it in any way possible. So that's so amazing. And you're being that mentor for young athletes yeah and I guess I should shout out as well one that like I don't necessarily work with but um we were both on the can fund 150 women birthday bash not necessarily they're an awesome nonprofit. I don't work with them as an athlete but I've been a beneficiary of their funding they don't get any really government support Jane and her team go and raise money and it goes directly to athletes and supports you know I think supports most Olympians and Paralympians really that have gone through in the last four or five Olympic cycles and, and they're really gearing up to raise more money for our Beijing winter Olympics. So, I mean, they would be, <laughs> I can't believe I forgot to shut that out, but we were, we were on that birthday bash and they're really awesome. And talk about an awesome community. I spent three hours on zoom yesterday with all females that have donated to the program and other female athletes. Not all of them have received it yet. Some of them got surprised on the call that they were receiving a $6,000 and to be honest, I shed a few tears through the whole thing. We heard from some awesome medalists um, from Tokyo talking about their journey, all that kind of stuff. Talk about a community of like strong, badass women. And some of them, you know, some of them have medals and not all of them do, but they all have a story to tell. And I think that's like, yeah, that was super awesome. So um, I can't believe I forgot to shout them out, but there you go. <laughs> Look them up. Um, and if you're interested, they're always looking for donations 
they have the 150 women program, which is women funding women, but then they also have camp fund, which is just general goes to, to more of the male athlete side, obviously. And uh, yeah, so they're, they're really awesome as well, but they're very new to my journey. It's only been less than a year since I've gotten my first camp fund and I cried <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so, um, but they've been an awesome community, especially just like through, as we approach the, the games and like, I'm on the long list for the games, but kind of not, I'm like fifth in Canada and we'll probably take the top two or three, but the fact they took the time to still like invest in me as an athlete was super cool. <laughs> yeah. I'll have links in the description. So to all the organizations you're a part of can fund, of course, and your podcast, it'll all be linked. So check those out. Yeah. You've been just so amazing. I love your energy, just who you are is just amazing. And so with that last question, is there any last advice that you would give an athlete today? <sighs> I think so. I'll take one as like, I mean, you have to always be the driver of your own bus and don't let someone else like drive your development. I think is one thing that I've learned over the years. And, and a lot of that has come from not necessarily having a full development structured program. When I was first signing, like I really just had to go it alone and, and persevere through that. But I think the second one I took actually from the can fund call was why not me? And I think that's a really cool quote because as I said, I'm a little bit of a realist, but I do like to think like, you know, there's so many people who like are in the position. There's been so many athletes that are in that like dark horse position that didn't necessarily think they were ever going to go to the Olympics level and maybe win an Olympic medal. And I really like that sentiment of like, why not me? And I think that will probably be the theme of my next, uh, my next quad of why not me? Because I think I need to step it up and go from, I'm happy to be here because I am, I am happy to be on the national team. We just talked for, <laughs> for, you know, 40 minutes about like my crappy few years of like not knowing if I was ever going to be in the national program. And now I've been on the national team for three years. So like that in itself is a huge accomplishment. Again, something I always wanted as a kid, but I think I need to step it up a little bit and, and, kind of turn that mindset into, uh, into winning and, and wanting to win and, and not being afraid to say it. And, and there's going to be failures. I'm probably going to have another slump races, hopefully not another slump year. Um, <laughs> let's knock on wood about that one, but sport is sport. And I think too, like also just being able to leave, like one thing I've learned balancing work and personal life and sport is like, I'm so happy that I didn't just fully go and be like, I'm an athlete and only define myself as an athlete. Um, I think that's really important. And then I'm not saying you have to work full time to do that, but just have other hobbies, interests, and don't think about your sport 24 seven. It's so unhealthy. You stress yourself out. You know, I set aside time to just review, especially in race weeks. Like I'll like set, I call it a shutdown period. I can't think about sliding for like these certain hours and then go through like video review, coaches review, stuff like that. And then I close the book on that. And I don't really think about it until the morning before when I'm, or the morning next morning when I'm like prepping for sliding. So I think that's also really important. It's just like athletes can become very obsessive. So don't like completely obsess and overstress yourself out. Um, obviously it's a balance. You have to think about your sport a ton to check those boxes, but don't live and die by them and develop some other stuff outside of sport, be a human you'll thank me when you retire. And I know I'll thank me when I retire is like, that's what's important. And you miss a lot of life as an athlete, but don't miss all of it just because you need to be in bed by eight o'clock or whatever. Go for lunch with a friend and still be in bed by eight o'clock. 
<laughs> I'll leave it there. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be, I mean, maybe I'm just telling myself advice for the next <laughs> 10 months of a next quad, but, uh, yeah, that's just don't forget about the human. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> well said. And totally true. I, I tell my friends advice and I'm like, uh, thinking about it, I'm like, mm, I should take my own advice as well. So <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on and good luck this season. And yeah, just have a good time. Have fun. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me on as well. I hope, I hope someone similar and I hope someone takes one thing out of this and they're like, Hmm, yes. And it makes them think so. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. Find me on social media. Uh, my website will be linked. It's gracedafo.ca. Give me a follow. If you found this interesting, hopefully you did. And, and you can kind of follow more along my journey over the next, next few years. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to the Barriers to Breakthroughs podcast. If you love this episode or want to support the podcast, please click on that subscribe button and leave a rating and review. I would be forever grateful. You can also follow and connect with me on Instagram at Barriers to Breakthroughs podcast and on my website at emmawoodhouse.ca. Thanks again for tuning in and keep on breaking those barriers to your inevitable breakthrough.